independent than dependent, more likely to be thinking, what can you do for me today, where most people are tired and overextended. The church has a unique opportunity, an equally unique message. Come, be a part of something bigger than yourself. Come and be a part of a place where you are known and cared for. Come and be a part of authentic biblical community. Authentic biblical relationships are all about people being devoted to one another. A commitment to each other, not based on simply shared interest or similar ideas or circumstance, but a commitment that is based on a shared relationship with Jesus Christ. We have the same Father, the same life-giving Spirit, the same name, same baptism, same communion, the same unbreakable family bond. It is a relationship that fills the pages of the New Testament, and it reminds us that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a relationship where it is safe to get real with each other. It is a relationship where people speak truth to each other, but always in love. It's a relationship where even conflict leads to reconciliation and growth. What happens when God's children live in relationships with each other in this way? Psalm 133 tells us there will be unity, there will be refreshment, and there will be an attraction to the gospel. That is God's plan for His church authentic biblical community. Well, for uh, several weeks now we've been going right through the book of 1 Thessalonians and uh, seeing what Paul had to write to this young church, encouraging them to be the church and to be the faithful church. And so We've looked at what he challenged them with and applied that to the life of our church here. Uh, this is what we're talking about, uh, authentic biblical relationships. You see, the overarching theme here is that Paul is talking about is the, uh, the return of the Lord. And he had some issues that he had to clarify with the church. And so then he was talking to them about what they should be doing during the time that they are waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and one of those things that he's talking about is, is that they should develop relationships and show relationships among each other uh, that would have an effect upon the non-Christian culture uh, in which they were living. And if you'll look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll look at verses 12 through 15, and then we'll just kind of come along and, and unpackage it and see exactly what Paul talks to us about and the challenges that he gives to us today from the same passage of Scripture about uh, living together in authentic biblical relationships. Paul says, uh, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Now, the, the essence of why Paul is writing these words is because uh, back then and even now, 
um, that we need the right kind of relationships to be the right witness to the non-Christian culture in which we live. The church back in when he wrote to, to the Thessalonians uh, was a young church. The whole Christian movement was a young experience. And, and it was making a tremendous impact upon culture. But he just wanted to remind them about how they lived because that lifestyle that they lived together in relationships would, uh, would affect the culture either positively or uh, negatively in terms of having them respond to want to be a part of the life of the church. And so the areas of relationship that we should live in inside the life of our church still true today. You know, the people outside of our church watch us to see how we treat each other. And if we treat each other well and we live up to the name of being Christians and we live the way that Christ would live, uh, then we do well and we influence the culture. But if we don't, then people have the attitude that says, well, I got enough stress and I got enough uh, conflict in my life already. That if that's what's going on inside the, 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 the family of faith at Spring Valley Baptist Church or wherever it might be, then I don't need to be a part of that. And that certainly is true. All of us, all of us live with some stress in our life. All of us live with some conflict in our life. Not everything goes smoothly. You know, it can be family, it can be work, it can be school, you know, whatever. Relationships sometimes get kind of spicy at times. And so we have to be careful how we handle those relationships, how we respond to certain circumstances. And so in interpersonal relationships within the life of the church for believers in the church will go a long way towards either growing the church and being a positive influence on the culture or will be a detriment to the church. And so let's look at what Paul says about eight areas in which we need to develop relationships and how we need to work on them. First of all, he says, respect your spiritual leaders. And it's interesting that that's the first thing in this section, that he's talking about respect your spiritual leaders, the leaders in the life of the church. And he says, respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Now, we know Paul was a, a pastor. We know he was an apostle. We know he was a missionary. He came on mission tours, and, and he established churches, just like he did here among the Thessalonians. And then he established an order in the life of the church. He appointed elders, and he appointed a pastor, and he appointed spiritual leaders to lead and guide that church. And he is writing to them, and he's saying, respect these leaders. Have honor for them. Show your love and care and concern for them. Uh, and the reason for it is, is because... The spiritual leaders in the church are the ones who minister to you and admonish you in the ways of life and <clears throat> teach you the way that God is supposed to have you to live. It's not just me as the pastor, but it's our entire ministerial staff. It's our deacons and it's all of our Bible teachers. You know, and, and Paul describes us as being those who work hard among you and those who admonish you. And so the question you have might be, well, why should we respect our spiritual leaders? Uh, and the answer is found in Hebrews chapter 13. Well, the writer of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with great joy and not with grief. Now, and let's understand this. In, in the hierarchy of the leadership in the life of our church, Jesus Christ is our spiritual leader. And as the pastor, I'm the under-shepherd of that. And then we have this other staff that work under that lordship of Christ. And then we have deacons, and then we have other leaders, particularly Bible study uh, leaders. But Jesus is the head of the church. And all of us are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and we're told that as we serve, then one day we're going to be judged and held accountable. Not for how you turn out in your spiritual life. 
because it, a lot of it is dependent upon you, but about how well we put forth the Word of God, how well we lived our life, how well we set an example, and how well we taught you, how well we laid that foundation of faith among you. Then you see that the, that's what we will be judged about. That we got to give an account for that is what the Scripture says. So Paul says that's why you need to hold us in the highest esteem and, and regard them in love. And so let, let me just give you some expressions of how um, you might want to express or how you could express uh, your esteem or appreciation of love to your staff and to your Bible teacher, your Sunday school teacher, and, and our deacons. Um, pray for us on a regular basis. I'd ask you to do that. Second, I'd say, you know, send some notes of encouragement. There's nothing that really lifts me up uh, like deacons' meetings. And that's, you know, some people think, why in the world do you say that about a deacons' meeting? Well, because the most important thing that we do, in my opinion, is that after staff comes before deacons and gives the report from their area of ministry, then we sit in chairs separated around the room, and the deacons gather around us, and they lay hands on us, and they pray for us. And that's powerful. So I encourage you to pray for us. Lift us up every day and pray for us. Send notes of encouragement. Uh, this morning, I opened my email, and uh, here was an email from one of our church families, and they said, Robert, we are out of town today. So we won't be there for worship. But I want you to know that as you take to the pulpit today, that we will be praying for you as you deliver the word of God. And I thought, man, you know, that's, that just made my day. That helped me catch up on that hour of sleep I lost last night, just right there. So I printed it. Now it'll go in my encouragement file because that's something else that, that helps me go along. And then, you know, express the gratitude for the service. Uh, among the leaders of the life of the church, your deacons, your ministerial staff, and your Bible study teachers. So Paul says to, to have that love and honor and respect your spiritual leaders. Then the second thing he says is live in peace with each other. I mean, that's directly what he says in verse 13. You know, if you have ever been a part of a church where there was division and discord, you know that it was not a pleasant experience. And it just seems like there are some churches that that's all they're known for is constant fighting and bickering and splitting. And it just seems like that's in their DNA. And that's all that they can be and all that they can do. And churches split and have fights and feuds over the, some of the most petty little issues. Churches are split over the color of the carpet that's gone into the sanctuary. They have split over which side of the, of the sanctuary uh, the new piano would go on. I mean, it's just been all kinds of crazy things that churches can fight over. And you know who's pleased when that happens? Satan is. Oh, he looks down and he smiles. He says, I don't have to worry about that church. They're going to destroy themselves. They're not going to do anything good for the kingdom of God. You know, all that Satan wants to do is he wants to destroy the people of God. And some churches do a good job of that themselves. Yeah? And so he tells us to live in peace with each other. We're not going to attract people into the life of the church if there's any discord. And we don't have that, and I praise God for that. But I just want to remind you that there are some issues about that. That's why I like this video. And Psalm 133 particularly says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Now, you know, as long as you've lived, no matter what age you are, from our students on up to the oldest person here, you know that there are just some relationships that just will not happen. They won't work. I mean, that's just the way it is. There are just some relationships that aren't going to work. There are some people with whom as try as hard as you can, you're not going to have a relationship with them. As pastor, I know I, I've dealt with that firsthand. There's nothing in the world I could do to please them. 
They were going to be disappointed. They were going to attack me no matter what I did. But Paul says in Romans 12, if it is possible, now listen carefully to what he says, if it is possible as far as it depends on you, see the responsibility on you, is live at peace with everyone. Now, I'm told that lawyers like that verse because it does contain a loophole. And the loophole is as far as it depends upon you. You see, you've got to have two parties working together in a relationship for it to work. And if you do your part and the other person doesn't and there's still no relationship, that burden's not on you. You can walk away from it and live in peace with God knowing that you did what you were supposed to do. I look back over my years of ministry and sometimes people have gotten upset with me, mad with me, and they've left the church. And I've gone to them, I've talked to them, and I've asked them to please explain to me what happened. You know what I've discovered in almost every one of those situations? I was guilty of uh, not meeting unexpressed expectations of me. They sat there in silence and quiet. They didn't let me know what their needs were. They didn't let me know what their issues were. They didn't have a word to say about me about that. But then after a fact, that's when they would criticize me. And that's when I'm, you know, I'm a lame duck as a pastor. It's always easy to say, well, you know, the pastor wasn't friendly. The pastor didn't meet our needs. His preaching wasn't meeting our needs anymore. We just weren't growing spiritually and all of that. All, you know, and most of all of that's a cover-up for the simple fact that they had unexpressed expectations of me. I had no clue. I'm not a mind reader. You know, God gifted me in several ways with spiritual gifts, but I am not a mind reader. You want me to know something and be there and be a part of your life? Let me know. Let me know because we're not mind readers. I'm not a mind reader. So we're told to live in peace as much as it depends upon you. You do what's necessary to heal that relationship. If it doesn't happen and you've done what you're supposed to do, then you still live at peace with God. Next thing Paul says about relationships is that we're to warn those who are idle. Look at verse 14. He says, and we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Now what's behind that one? Well, evidently here in Thessalonians, and particularly when you get over to 2 Thessalonians, you'll see that some of them who were waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ just gave up on everything. They quit their jobs. They weren't taking care of any responsibilities in the church. They weren't taking care of their family. They just become idle. They were preoccupied with the return of Christ. We've seen that with a lot of cult movements. You know? But Paul says that that's not what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to be idle as you wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He even went in talking to Timothy and he said, If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You're worse than an unbeliever if you're not taking care of your own family. And so that reason is why Paul says, warn those who are idle. Now, there's some translations of scriptures, in particular of that verse, that call the idle unruly. And it refers to somebody who has no discipline in their life, and they're going in the wrong direction. It's the same word that's used to describe a Roman soldier when that soldier would go AWOL, that is, absent without leave. See, some believers here in this church were getting off track. And they needed somebody to warn them and talk them and get them back on the right track. You might be privileged enough to have one of these newer model cars that's got all these sensors that warn you about these things. And they're great safety features, you know. That they're great safety features in the fact that, that they'll let you know if you're, you know, you're wandering out of your lane. They'll cover you on your blind spots. Uh, they'll let you know not to back into the, in the pathway of the oncoming car. Or if you're going too fast with a car in front of you. Well, evidently there are a lot of people who need some spiritual 
reminders of that or some spiritual warning sensors about that. And one of the best places to find that is, is in the Scriptures. Because Jesus anticipated uh, His return and that some people would become idle. They'd be preoccupied just with His return. And so in Matthew 24 He said, So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the Master has put in charge of the servants in His household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose Master finds him doing so when He returns. In other words, God doesn't want us to remain idle. He wants us to stay busy for His kingdom, doing what we're supposed to be doing until the Lord returns. And what does that mean for us as a church? Proclaiming the gospel, teaching the word, making disciples, and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And that means that we can't be idle. We can't be unruly. And it also means then, if you're going to take the initiative to be a warning sensor for somebody who's strayed off the path, then you need to make sure of your motives. Make sure you're doing it out of love and not out of anger towards them, okay? But there's that warning there to, to warn the idol. Then the fourth thing he says is, encourage the discouraged. Verse 14 he says, encourage the timid. The word timid there doesn't mean shy. But it means someone who is having a difficult time and they're just fearful of going on in life. They don't think they can make it. You know, there are times in, I guess, everybody's life when you feel like quitting, when you feel like what you're doing is not important, it's not having any effect, and you just feel like you're going to throw up your hands and just give it up. You know, that happens to pastors probably more than any other profession. According to a study by the Schaefer Institute, Francis Schaefer Institute, 75% of pastors who start out in the ministry will drop out in the first 10 years. 75% will drop out in the first 10 years. And only one out of 10 pastors who start out in ministry, will retire and still be in ministry. You know what it's called? It's called burnout, spiritual burnout. And there are a lot of people that experience spiritual burnout. You know, Timothy might have been close to spiritual burnout, and that's why Paul said to him, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So we need to encourage the discouraged. You know, if things are going great in your life, you, know, you might not be aware of what's going on in the life of somebody else. Maybe somebody's seated with you right there on that pew where you're sitting today. That something's going on maybe with them that's got them discouraged. And so you need to be an encourager to them, to timid who feel like maybe they can't go on. You need to do that. Say something good to them, something kind, something positive, and uplift them and encourage them. Fifth thing that Paul says is help the weak. He says, help the weak, or King James says, support the weak. And that's a good translation because that word there literally means to hold up somebody who can't do it on his or her own. And, and the world's attitude towards those who are weak has got to be different than that of the church. The world says, if you're weak, you're just something to be trampled over, you know, pushed aside. You can't help me get what I want. You're not important to me. You're not important to anybody. You're weak. Now, the context in which Paul is writing is he's talking about those who are weak spiritually. And so in the life of the church, it makes sense then that we should encourage those who are spiritually weak, who are weaker in the faith, and we should get, have the responsibility to fulfill, to help those who are weaker in their faith to grow in their faith. So a question would be for you to look around and ask, who is it God's placed in my path that might need a sense of encouragement in the faith? Who can I help grow in their walk with God? It might even be that you follow through with a kind of step-by-step formula that says, who is it that I can take and walk them through how, how you become a believer in Christ? 
How can I lead them through experiencing what it means to be uh, baptized as a believer? How can I get them involved in a Bible study class where they will hear the Word on a regular basis and they will grow as a person of Christ? See, those are important things that, that relate to our relationship within the life of the church. We need to be sure that we help those who are weaker in the faith. Okay? Then the sixth thing that Paul says is, he says, practice patience. And he says, practice patience by saying, be patient with everyone. We are an impatient society and culture today, aren't we? And it's because we've been conditioned by our culture that everything moves at a fast pace. You know, we've got drive-through to get food. You've got instant food. You've got microwavable food. All this kind of stuff. Everything, you know, internet. You've got the access of the world right there uh, at, at your fingertips. It should be an immediate access to that. You know, we're impatient. We refuse to wait. We want it now. Would you believe that I'm an impatient person? That I have trouble with patience? Yeah, I do. And most of that impatience is about the fact that there are things here I want to see happening that aren't happening. And I'm most impatient about that. I don't like standing in lines. I don't like waiting for a meal at a restaurant. You know, if you go to a place to eat and they say it's a 45 to an hour wait, I'm gone. I'm out of here. I'd just as soon stop and get a sandwich somewhere and take it home. I'm not going to wait. I hate standing in line. I just don't like that. I've had, I've had patience problem all my life. You know, two things that helped me the most about learning patience. Number one was getting married. <laughs> I see a lot of guys shaking their head. You know, we'll pay for that later, but, you know. And the other one was having children. You know. If you don't develop patience, you're liable to kill them. <laughs> so those are two things that help me greatly with patience. Now, here, here's, some, here's how impatient we are. And it leads to some detrimental activity. If, if a web page, this has been just research. If a web page takes more than eight seconds to load, it loses a third of the people who are trying to click onto it right there. You know? And you've done that. That's not opening. Let's go here. And you go somewhere else. You, they, they lose you like that. Talking about don't like standing in lines in a city in China, and I can't pronounce it, so I won't try to do that. But there are some people who have marketed themselves that they will actually stand in line for people who are too busy to stand in line and wait. I don't know what they stand in line and waiting for, but they actually make their money, their living, by standing in line for people. Now, I don't like standing in lines, but I'm not going to go so far as to pay somebody to stand in a line for me. But somebody got very entrepreneurial with their mindset, didn't they? Now, guys, listen to this one very carefully. Every year in this country, there are about 12 to 15 men who are killed by soft drink vending machines. You know why? Because either you put your money in and ate your money and you didn't get anything, or it didn't give you the right amount of change, or it didn't give you the right drink that you wanted out of that vending machine, and what do you do? You're so impatient with it, you get mad and you shake it and you kick it, and ultimately it falls over on you and it crushes 12 to 15 guys every year. You, you need to learn to work on patience. Like I did. You know, Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, Solomon was supposed to be real wise. And Solomon said, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. I think that's why Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 13, that great love chapter, and remind us that love is patient. And that's a beautiful word to look at to understanding. It comes from two words, macros, which means large, 
and then thumos, which means the boiling point. You put that together, it's a large boiling point. And what that means is somebody who is patient takes a long time to get angry, a long time to have their fuse lit, and they don't have a hair trigger temper. And another word for it is long-suffering. You know, after y'all celebrated my 25th anniversary here, somebody asked me later, said, what's the secret of being there for 25 years? And I said, well, the people there are patient and long-suffering, and I'm thankful. So you have been a patient group of people. You've been long-suffering, and I'm thankful. James would write and say, in one of the most practical letters that we find in the New Testament, my dear brothers, take note of this. Encourage everyone to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Angry. Why is that? It's because that's how God deals with us. Psalm 103 verse 8 says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. If we're growing more and more in our faith to be like God, then we're going to grow more and more and more in our patience. So Paul says practice patience. Then the seventh thing he says is refuse to retaliate. How many of you got a problem with that? Somebody hurts you, somebody offends you, what's the first thing you want to do? I want to get even with them. Why, why do you want to get even with them? Try to get ahead of them. And the way you get ahead of them is not paying back wrong for wrong. Verse 15 says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. If Jesus could pray for the people who nailed him to the cross while he was on the cross and asked God to forgive them, then we ought to be able to do the same thing. And we ought not to seek revenge. We ought to leave that up to God. So when you're wrong, it's so easy to, to, to strike back. You want to strike back. You know, I, you know, part of my passion is reading Westerns. I love them. And most every gunfight uh, is stirred about the fact that the, the old gunslingers back then lived by the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth out of the Old Testament. You kill somebody in their family, they come after you and going to kill you. They got to get revenge and even the score. You know, a lot of times we're not as violent as that in today's culture. But we kind of live with that same attitude. I'm going to get even with them. I'm going to look for my chance, and I'm going to get even with them. Paul says, don't retaliate. Don't retaliate. Leave that up to God. In fact, he would write later on in Romans, and he would say, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, now listen to these words. Listen to this. On the contrary, this is the opposite of revenge. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Refuse to retaliate. Overcome evil with good. Do kindness to them. Give them, a, give them a food if they're hungry. Give them water, a drink if they're thirsty. And by doing that, you'll heat burning coals on your head. Now, you don't do that because you want them to feel the heat of burning coals on their head. But what that's talking about is it shames them. You know, every time I get angry about a situation like that, and somebody, I feel like somebody said something wrong about me or done something like that, you know, and I've just got that anger and that impatience and all that stuff, you know, and I just really want to wring the neck. Cookie says, no, no, you've got to kill them with kindness. I just want to kill him. She says, kill him with kindness. <laughs> and how does the scripture say do that? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not seek revenge. That's up to God. 
refuse to retaliate. Then the eighth thing that Paul says that kind of leads to, to in a follow-up, a logical pattern. He says, cultivate kindness. Verse 15 says, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Paul would say the same thing to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4, verse 32. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. See, we always need to learn that the way we live our Christian life is best lived when we live it the way that God relates to us. Doesn't that make sense? You see, God is kind and gracious and patient and loving with us. And that means that's the way that we should be with other people. We need to cultivate that sense of kindness. See, see, God relates to us in kindness. He's slow to anger. He's great in his mercy. He's abundant in his love and forgiveness. And that's the way that we ought to be. Now, as as we're going through this today, I want to say to you that uh, I'm not slamming you. I don't think these are issues that we have. Okay? I don't think they're divisions or, or, or schisms or any of that. I haven't heard of any retaliation and all those kinds of things lately. I think we are plagued by a sense of apathy. That's a great concern to me. And that's one of the things that I'm so impatient about. I mean, you can look around and see that, that some, we had a great Sunday last Sunday. We felt good about it. You know, had an offering over 44,000, uh, one of the highest attendances we've had this year in 2014. And, but this is time change Sunday. When you lose an hour, that's always down. But, but as we look around the life of the church, I think we have a healthy church, fairly healthy church. And we have good relationships. And I get a lot of notes of encouragement, far more so than I did words that discouraged me, okay? So I'm just saying, this is, this is just kind of a, a, of a challenge to us at Spring Valley that these are things we never need to lose sight of as a church. That we always need to live in authentic biblical relationships. And I want to tell you how I, I've seen that this past week in a very, very profound way. Earlier, Allison mentioned sitting in the hospital room with Lindsay Salter, 19-year-old student from Winthrop, daughter of, of Jim and, and Shirley Salter. Uh, going to Winthrop to get a degree in special ed to work with special needs children because that's her love and her passion. Works in our preschool so much. She came home from Winthrop last week and not feeling well. They got her to the doctor, discovered, uh, they said pneumonia and a blood clot in the lung. Got her to the Baptist Hospital. Uh, over the weekend, they moved her in the ICU. Monday morning, just like that, her heart stopped. Through a clot. And all this week has been an emotional roller coaster for that family. And, and they watched Lindsay make some progress and then slide back. And Jim and Shirley and their family, though, have stood strong. And Jim told me Friday, he said, I want, you to, I want you to share that and express that on Sunday morning of how much this church has meant to us and ministered to us during this time. The deacons have been there, they've taken food, others have taken food, Sunday school classes. Uh, the preschool staff, all that. Every time I've gone there in that waiting room, there's just been food in abundance and people there encouraging the Salters. And Jim and Shirley, being the believers that they are, they've taken that excess food and they've shared it with other people in the waiting room. And those people have said, what makes you do this? And they said, well, this is what we're supposed to do as a Christian. And they said, well, what church do you belong to? I've never seen a church that does this and responds that way. And they said, we go to Spring Valley Baptist. And Jim told me uh, Friday afternoon as we talked, that he's had the opportunity there with his daughter in a crisis situation to share his faith in Jesus Christ with two people. That is absolutely remarkable and profound. Lindsay is not out of the woods. She's in the hands of God. We're not sure what's going to take place right now. 
She got off the ventilator one day, had to go back on it. So please be in prayer for them. But I want you to know, I've seen this church in action many, many times. We do that so well when there's a time of crisis that you respond. I give kudos to our deacons who've been there. Got Team Lindsay t-shirts. I don't know who came up with that, but I saw them today. You know, I've seen you love people during times of crisis, meet their needs, and I want to commend you for that. And the challenge here today is just, let's just don't ever lose sight of these genuine, healthy relationships. And as, as Psalm 133 says, let's experience that wonderful, wonderful experience of brothers and sisters dwelling together in unity. And let's grow the kingdom of God. Father, we bow before you and we thank you for the word that you give to us that constantly uh, keeps us guided in the right direction. And I pray that we'll have faith uh, to go in the way that you lead us and guide us and direct us. Uh, Today, Father, I thank you for a church that cares and ministers to one another and uh, builds relationships that are biblically based. And I thank you for the care and ministry especially uh, this week that's been shown to to Jim and Shirley Salter and to their family, uh, to Lindsay especially, and to Britta and to Josh and Caleb and to all their extended family. I thank you, Father, for uh, the care and mercy that you've given. And now I pray uh, uh, that we just put Lindsay into your hands. And we ask, Father, that uh, uh, it be in your will that you would bring healing. But if not, Father, then we pray that you will bring to us understanding and peace that can come only from you. And, Father, we pray that we would continue to be mindful of the needs of others around us and that we'll be willing to build those genuine biblical relationships that will honor you, bring glory to you, and will grow your kingdom. And I pray that, Father, in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.